Today we're going to talk a little bit about the necessity of a spirit birth. And um, I'm going to read you that verse from Jeremiah 13.23. One more time, we read that a couple minutes ago. You probably remember it. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Seems to be a strange question for the prophet to ask. And he asks it again, or the leopard its spots. Well, then may you also do good, who are accustomed to do evil. If we're comparing men and leopards here, leopards have spots. What do men have? Evil. Can a leopard change his spots? That's the question. Men have evil. Just like leopards have spots. Can a leopard change that? No. Why not? It's, it's, their, it's, it's their DNA. It's the way they come out of the womb, isn't it? They're, they're born that way. Well, if the leopard can change his spots, then you can do good. If the leopard can change his spots, then you can do good. Who are accustomed to do evil. This is the essence of what the prophet is communicating in that line. Have you yourself, have you ever felt a discord between your very best thoughts and the reality of your life? Have you ever felt there's some disharmony? between your best recollections of yourself and the actual way you you live and speak your life. I think, if you're honest, we all do see that and feel that. You see, sin is not a symptom or an occasional embarrassment or a temporary slip. Sin is a, a soulish bend. It, it's something that's in you. It's in your being. It's a bent, which means you're just... You can't help but turn toward to its bidding. Sin is seen by action. Sin is sometimes seen by your inaction. Sometimes the things that you won't do are a mark of your sin. It's sometimes seen by your thoughts. It's sometimes seen in the things that you do. It is sometimes seen by the things you say or again by the things that you won't say. Sin is so common that thoughtful and honest men they know they know they're plagued with sin just like a leopard can see the spots in its fur. And what's worse than that sin also seems to carry with it an, an addictive component to it. There's, there's an aspect of Sin, where that as a, a sinner is going through life, the the addictive nature of sin would potentially be likened to you dragging a magnet through a junkyard. And by the time you get to the other side of the junkyard, there's just all kinds of stuff stuck to it. It just picks up more and more garbage. Sin's addictive nature is never... 
resting. It's just constantly picking up more as the sinner progresses through life. Sometimes the sinner casts something off in shame or weariness, only to find a brand new compromise willing to take its place with twice the corrupting force. Sometimes you or I escape. A, there, there's such thing as what I would call a besetting sin, something you just kind of seem to do the same kind of thing over and over. It might be in the way you use your mouth or the way you lack discipline. Uh, a besetting sin is something you just return to over and over. But every now and then you throw one off and then there's something new to take its place just as quick as you got rid of it. Men hide the worst of these sins. Men men don't normally wear, they don't normally, they sometimes do, but they don't normally wear these things on their sleeves. And men are actually very fond of and adept at managing their exterior, aren't they? That is, what is it that people see and hear from you? We manage that so that nobody thinks too darkly of us. We don't really want the worst of us to be too horribly visible. <laughs> we do this. And, and, and many men will smother and, and cover and veil their, their sin with religion like flowers on a graveyard. It's an interesting way of thinking about it, don't you think? Men will find that their relative good accomplishments are approvable and and worthy of God's grace in the same way that if you put enough flowers on a graveyard, you can pretty much forget that it really is covering. Can you imagine how many bones are in even in the little graveyard here in Laytonville? And there just must be thousands and thousands of bones in that little graveyard. But how do you make it appear to be something unoffensive and undead? How do you make it look nice? Just cover it with grass and flowers. Men do this. Religious men do this. Because men are unaware of God's requirement of something much, much more drastic than a than a nice-looking outside. But if men would enter into God's grace, and that's where we were at last week, Romans chapter 5, we we were reminiscing and glorying in the Lord in that when justification takes place, when salvation actually takes place, when a person has been saved, they leave a certain realm and they enter into this grace where they stand. When men enter into that grace, if men would enter into God's grace, they must be regenerated. They must be made something new. And I want to talk with you about that today. What does that mean? What is this idea of, I made up a new word, regenesist? You know the word Genesis, right? Regenesist. Regenesis. They must be regenesis. So if you turn to the, the book of John with me, I know we've studied this passage before. It was probably four years ago or so. 
three or four. I want to think about this with you. I want you to think about this deeply with me. The necessity of spirit birth gets very, very well spoken of here by John. Read with me from verse 1 in chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So many times I have wondered, what is it Nicodemus wanted to talk about? Why did he introduce himself and make himself known to the Lord in this way? But Jesus answered and said to him, the Lord Jesus isn't changing the subject, by the way. He knows exactly what is in the mind and the heart of Nicodemus here. Well, you and I don't. But there is two conversations going on in this passage. One you and I hear, and there is another one happening at a slightly deeper level. And the Lord is speaking to that one there. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, can you see the connection between verse 2 and verse 3? No, you can't. Don't say you can because you, you can't. There's something going on here beneath the surface. Jesus answered, said unto him, King James says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I, if, if you're not looking at a King James and you're looking at a new King James, <clears throat> make a little note there that it says verily, verily in the King James. Or re- at least remember that I made mention of this. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he was old or when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered again. The King James says, verily, verily here. Make note of that. Make sure you you note that. The New King James says, assuredly, if I'm not mistaken, both in verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And we could keep going in this conversation. There are many deep and profound uh, statements made here. But Jesus told Nicodemus that only a creature of water and spirit birth can see or enter the kingdom. But Nicodemus is really a kind of man who viewed himself as already standing in the blessing and in the grace of God. He's called, look at verse 10. This is the the title of, of Nicodemus. 
And the Lord Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Uh, King James says, Master of Israel. Nicodemus is, by any recollection, a very notable person in Jerusalem in terms of his um, status among the Jews, his his grasp of the Word of God, his his his, his prowess or his uh, his his place as a teacher in his community. Nicodemus is. Uh, at one point, I was trying to think if, if we have you know s- some kind of parallel where I could you know sort of park somebody in that place, and, and maybe in a roundabout way, at least to some of you, he's a little bit maybe like a John MacArthur, as in most people in Jerusalem, I would say knew who Nicodemus was, and they knew him for his teaching, which means he knew what there was to know for the people of. Israel. Very important that we remember and recognize that this is the man who is the instructor to the seed of Abraham. He knows what it is to be the seed of Abraham. And he would teach them what it would mean to know God's deeds and God's laws and God's favor. Him being a teacher isn't the same as being a pastor, but it is very notable that this man's position and place is to take what is important and essential and give it to this generation and to teach them to know what they must know and to do what they must do. And, of course, Nicodemus knew that God had chosen Abraham and God had chosen the seed of Abraham as the object of God's blessing. We've looked at this in the book of Romans, right? We know that there's special promises to Abraham and his seed. And yet we also remember remember that not all who are Israel are Israel is kind of how Romans begins to go. In other words, blood relation to Abraham is not the key to eternal blessing. And And Nicodemus is numb to this issue. Nicodemus doesn't understand this issue. So the teacher of the Jews, or the master of the Jews here, teaches and and leads, but he is unaware that having God's grace and being able to enter into the kingdom or being able to see the kingdom requires a miracle. It requires some supernatural miracle, and he does not understand this. He is oblivious to this reality. And this is emphasized in what we just read. And I don't know if Nicodemus picks this up at verse 6, but we just read, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Or... If you were born with spots, you can't get into heaven. You must be made unwicked if you're going to get into heaven. We can pull that very loose translation out of Jeremiah. The problem is, is if you were born of the flesh, you're born a sinner. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the flesh can't even see the kingdom, yet alone enter the kingdom. 
He has already heard this much, and that was the point made there in verse 6. So in verse 3, I want to I touch on a couple of aspects of what the Lord Jesus said to him so that you can feel some of the weight of what Nicodemus walked away from. In verse 3, we uh, see the phrase, most assuredly. Now, as the Lord Jesus begins to instruct Nicodemus, he uses this word, New King James, most assuredly. King James, verily, verily. Verily, verily, or most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Nicodemus has no concept of new birth. He, he actually has found at least some degree of comfort in what you and I would call reform. That is, he manages his habits. He's, he's conformed the things that he does and he thinks to be a good religious man. We don't, he doesn't speak about it, but he does not understand this idea of new birth. His belief may be something like flowers on a graveyard making that a beautiful place. Men are used to making themselves presentable and acceptable by these outside things. You see, Nicodemus couldn't have understood too well what was being said here because he was actually good at his religion. Some people who are good at religion, a lot of people who are good at religion but not born again, can comfort their soul saying, I took communion. I go to church, I go to Bible study, I give. There are, there are things that men do, or maybe they pray at special times of the year, or maybe they pray at every meal. These things they do are their comforts before the Lord. They, they, they know they're doing right, and they know God receives and accepts them on these basis. So in this way, Nicodemus is very successful at taking the old creaturely Adam-like man and making it right before God so that God is pleased with it. It's stuff going on on the outside. The Lord Jesus says, Verily, verily, I send you, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And this is utterly foreign to Nicodemus. He has no idea of what the Lord is talking about. But you guys remember a story in the book of Ezekiel about dry bones? We're not going to turn there. I'll read you a verse from it in a minute. In Ezekiel 37, there's a passage of scripture. And God asked the prophet, can these bones live? And the prophet wisely answers, you know. 
he, he's not sure how to answer that question because bones don't typically live. Bones are dead. Nicodemus, can you be born again? If he were to answer like Ezekiel, he would say, you know, Lord. But Nicodemus is like, what in the world are you talking about? He doesn't have the slightest clue, but he should have known. He should have known. He should have been able to remember. He should have been able to see there is something that I remember about dead men given new life. Back in the book of Ezekiel. Here in this passage, the Lord is teaching Ezekiel that eternal life and God's grace is only for the reborn. I'm going to give you two references, Matthew 19.23 and Matthew 24.2. I'm going to read you one of them, Matthew 19.23 and Matthew 24.2. Both use this word that I said to you a moment ago is verily, verily, or the word that is assuredly. Matthew 19.23 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, why did the Lord preface that verse with the word assuredly? And let me just tell you, in Greek, the word is amen. So in Greek, it said, amen, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did the Lord Jesus begin the sentence saying amen? Truly, it's hard for a rich man. When he says, Amen, Amen, in the book of John, chapter 3, it's sort of like you saying, True, true. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would the Lord Jesus preface this saying, True, true. Amen, Amen. All throughout the other passages in the New Testament, it'll say it one time. Why does he say true, true? Do you ever say true, true? No. What do you say? You say something like, I'm serious. I'm totally serious. I don't know what you guys say. That's what I say sometimes. I'm not kidding you. That's what we say. The Lord Jesus says, Amen. I say to you. And in this passage, amen, amen. Seriously, totally seriously, I am telling you. Why does the Lord Jesus preface this verse, this speech with Nicodemus? Why does he say it like that to Nicodemus? Why? Because Number one, it's a little bit hard to understand. Number two, Nicodemus already knows what he believes. And so unless the Lord Jesus says, listen to me carefully, listen critically, do not miss what I'm telling you, it's likely to go in one ear and out the other. He's saying amen, amen, because he loves Nicodemus. He's saying amen, amen, because he knows Nicodemus is likely to just kind of let it slip through his ears and not pay attention to it. Do not fail to hear and act accordingly is what he is telling Nicodemus. 
Do not fail. You must be born again. Pay vital attention to what I'm telling you. Amen, amen is not something the Lord Jesus said every day in his ministry. So I want you to catch that. You must make sure you catch that. Interestingly, if you look at verses 5 and verse 11, you'll see the Lord Jesus said the same thing. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. It's a very serious conversation here. Did you hear me saying serious instead of true? This is how you and I say it. The Lord Jesus intends for Nicodemus to take note. And therefore, I would say to you, whether you're four years old or 84 or 104, listen carefully to the words of the Lord Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Don't lose your place in John, but look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. I want you to follow. Listen to what the scripture says on this. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What do you mean new? What do you mean born again? Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, does your Bible say he is a new creation? New creature? He is a new Genesis. He is a new creature. Now, I'm not going to ask you a hard question. Does that mean reformed or does that mean new? The answer is it rhymes with new. That means it's new. You must be born again. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creature, not a reformed one. The New Testament isn't foreign to this idea. Titus 3, 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. The kindness and love of God appeared, of God our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. That would be reform, right? But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of Does your Bible say regeneration? Regenesist. Recreated. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christians are saved, they are washed, they are regenerate and renewed. It's a miracle. It's a real miracle. And what that means is, is you couldn't do it if you tried. A miracle is something God does by his nature. And a miracle is recognized by you and I as something that no man could do. That's what a miracle is. It's a supernatural thing to us. It's a natural thing to God. It's a miracle. The Lord said, Amen, Amen. You must be born again or you will not see. In verse 3, verse 5, what does it say? You must be born again or... Let's say in verse 5. Unless one is born again, or I'm sorry, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Unless he's born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now that's an interesting twist, I would say. We've we've gone now to water and spirit. It was born again a moment ago. Now it's born by water and spirit and being unable to enter. You see, this thing that the Lord Jesus is speaking about, this regenesising of a person, it changes the ability of the person. If this hasn't happened to a person, then he has not the ability to see it. He has not the ability to be in it. It would be foreign to him. Unless you are born again, it is not possible for your kind of creature to see or enter the kingdom. It must be regenesist. The passage in John says, born again, and that's kind of a translator's uh, choice there, born again. Translators have attempted to help give you understanding by saying born again. The word again you would see in Matthew 27, 51. It's several other places, but just look at this one with me. It's the clearest that will help you understand Matthew 27:51 uses this word the word is anothen the word anothen in Matthew 27 is translated differently let me read the verse to you behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the anothen to the bottom what does anothen mean? The veil was rent in twain. It was torn in two from the anothen to the bottom. It was torn from the top to the bottom. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you are born from the top, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Or born from above. Does that make sense to you? Unless you're born from above. The Christ is teaching Nicodemus the necessity of where your life has to come from. 
Your life must come from above. You must be born from above or you cannot see or enter into the kingdom. Matthew uh, 1, 7 uses the same word, Genesis, that I've been referring to. It says, Solomon Ganao Rehoboam. Solomon Genesis Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son who takes the throne after Solomon. It's the same word that we're looking at for the word born. It's the word for fathered, or it's the word for begotten. And so being born from above means that there is a birth of God. There is a birthing by God's process of birthing that makes a God kind of offspring. There's a kind of offspring that can see and enter heaven that is birthed from above is the essence of what he's saying. So, for example, when, when, when I say that there is a kind of offspring that results from this, if you look at 1 John 3, 9 with me, you should get a little bit better taste of what I mean. That the, the thing resulting from this birth is likened unto the one who birthed it. It's a new thing. It's a new creation. Look at 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. You tracking? Well, why? That seems impossible. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. You see, that's that's the same word that we would be speaking about, the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham for generation after generation would be the seed of Abraham. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him. What does that mean? It means he's become a God kind. It means he's a new kind of creature. And this doesn't mean never sin ever. It, it, it's referring to the kind of habitual casualness about sin that unconverted people sin in. People who sin and don't feel conviction about it and don't repent of it, sin and sin and sin. But this one here that we're reading about, who has been born of God does not sin. The, the tense of the word of the verb there is habitually sin. When a Christian sins, he he goes to God and he seeks forgiveness for his sin because he feels convicted by the Spirit and he knows he's offended his Lord. And so this says there's a new kind. Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. See that? Genesis has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, there is this work that happens in these ones that Nicodemus is learning about. They're born again. They're begotten. They're birthed of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has begotten us again to a living hope. They have been born again. They've been born from above. Now, the passage takes an interesting curve here, and I want you to follow with me. And this, I believe, is how the Lord began to help Nicodemus make sense of what he was hearing. I think this was pretty pretty difficult for him to understand, as it may be difficult, maybe a little bit difficult for you to understand, too. Nicodemus asks in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's beginning to contemplate what's being said here. And it's like, well, if, if, if I can only see or enter heaven, if this thing happens, how in the world does it happen? I mean, obviously you're not saying my mother is going to birth me again, Lord. Right? And Jesus answered, See where it says, most assuredly, New King James, barely, barely. It says, amen, amen. In other words, do not fail to hear what I'm telling you. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must. It is so emphatic. If this transformation and regeneration does not happen, you won't see it. Yet alone enter it. That which is born of flesh is flesh. In other words, if you don't get this change, you're going to be a man. Men die like men, go into the grave and go to hell. But if you're born again, then you'll be born of the Spirit. That which is of flesh is flesh, he says, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be birthed in the Spirit. That's what the Lord Jesus is teaching him. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. What am I supposed to do, Lord? I can't help but marvel at this. He is utterly flummoxed because he cannot perceive how this is possible. He feels like heaven is completely out of reach for him. In my view, I, I think this is how he's hearing. It's like, how in the world can this be? I don't get it. Don't marvel, the Lord says. goes on to say, the wind blows where it wishes in verse 8. I'm going to give you some help here what the Lord told Nicodemus, and I'm not sure if Nicodemus heard it in the moment or not. He said, unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter, 
I do want you to turn to Ezekiel 36 with me. Find Ezekiel chapter 36. And I believe this is where the Lord helped Nicodemus. And I believe Nicodemus returned to this thought later this evening to ponder on this. Ezekiel chapter 36. He's right in front of Daniel. You guys there? Ezekiel 36 verse 25. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. This is a a futuristic prophecy that Ezekiel has recorded. Ezekiel's looking forward. He's hearing of this time where water is going to be sprinkled on you, on Israel, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Who's working? The sovereign God. Who's who's doing the changing? Who's doing the washing? The sovereign God. He goes on to say, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. What's wrong with the old one? It's hard. It is antagonistic toward God. It does not want to do God's will. It is lost. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Take the heart of stone out, put a heart of flesh in, and look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. What does it mean to be fit and equipped to see and enter the kingdom of heaven? A changed person. New heart. Spirit of God living in you. How do you do that? You cannot reform yourself and make this happen in you. When he is being told, unless you are born from above. Unless you are born by water and spirit. When the Lord Jesus said to him, water and spirit, Nicodemus is the scholar and teacher of Israel. He knows the scriptures as good as anybody in Jerusalem, better than most. I believe Nicodemus' mind eventually, if not in that moment, will get him into this passage. And he would begin contemplating what the Lord meant by these words. He would begin thinking about what it is the Lord Jesus was teaching. The scriptures foresee God's sin cleansing, his heart transplanting work by God's own hand, by God's own spirit. God foretold this through Ezekiel. 
person being acted on is a passive vessel. It's a miracle when a man's heart is changed to a heart of flesh. It's a miracle. When God's spirit indwells a man, it is a miracle that you don't cause to happen. Your kid cannot cause to happen. Your spouse cannot cause to happen. It is a work of God. A new creation is a new creation. And Nicodemus is hearing about this for the first time in his life. How could he be what he wasn't? And how could he have what was only God's to give? These must be questions in the mind of this man who is speaking with the Lord Jesus. Do not marvel that I say this. You must be born again. It goes on to speak about the wind and the spirit. I'm going to start reading in verse 8, John 3, 8. And one thing you need to know, there's some playing on words in here. There's some, if a lot of languages do this, but this word wind and the word spirit are the same as the word breath as well. You're, the, the breath coming out of your lungs is the same word. And so you and I use this word in English. Have you ever heard of pneumonia? Pneuma is the word for your breath. Pneuma means spirit, it means breath, and it means wind. So the translator translates it according to context. The wind blows where it wishes. It could have been written spirit. Because it's the same word. The word is pneuma. The pneuma blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So I think wind was the right word to put there. He's speaking about something he knows of. The wind goes where it wants. And so is everyone who is born of the wind. Or so is everyone who is born of the breath. Or so is everyone who is born of the spirit. All of those words are possible there. And Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? He is even more potentially confused by this, this point. You must be born by the water and the spirit is is what he's just heard. And you and I have a little bit of context, a little bit of inside knowledge from Ezekiel. God will put his spirit in a man while he is transplanting his heart and causing that man to walk in his statutes. God's spirit must work the new birth. The new birth is a real thing, the same way the wind is a real thing. If you look outside and look up in the pine or the firs and you see something moving around out there, you, you know, okay, the wind is, is moving, the branches and the fir trees. You can see it, and when it happens, it's a real thing, but you don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it's going next. The Spirit brings new birth. It is a recognizable power. It's a real thing that God does. And Nicodemus is pondering this, like maybe you're pondering this. And the Lord says to him, don't marvel 
unless this spiritual rebirth, this true, undeniable transformation, regenesising of you, unless this takes place, you won't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be made new. You must have a new heart. You must be filled with the Spirit of God, which will cause you to walk according to my ways and according to my statutes. Spiritual birth is a, a, a phenomenal mystery to people contemplating it because it removes all hope of getting yourself into heaven out of your hands. It takes Hope of going to heaven out of your hands. You realize that God is the one who owns heaven. God is the one who owns new hearts. God is the one who owns the spirit. Where are you going to get a new heart? Where are you going to get the spirit? How do you find your way to the kingdom of the eternal God? This is a great Mystery. It is a mysterious thing for men to think about, and it's a perplexing, troubling thing. So what has happened to our poor friend Nicodemus? What effect has this had on him? And John goes silent. There's no more words of Nicodemus here. We don't run into him until the end of the book of John, and, and we have every reason to believe he's saved by the time we get to the end of the book of John. We don't know his response here. We don't know what he says. We don't. We, we would even assume there's no more questions. But I know that Nicodemus began to wonder and think on Ezekiel. How do I become born again? The teacher, the Lord Jesus, said the Spirit must do it, and the Spirit goes where He wants. The Spirit does what He wants. He would remember that from our Lord's teaching. He would be thinking on the fact that Ezekiel said that the Spirit would come and He would cleanse and renew and indwell and give new hearts. Now this is for you to think about too. This is what the Spirit would do. If you have a heart of stone and if you have a heart that is in rebellion to the Lord if you don't love to follow the Lord if you don't love the Lord's ways if you don't anticipate heaven's glories by the righteousness of Christ alone then you're just like Nicodemus Luke Luke 11 has one very helpful insight for you look at Luke 11:13 with me I believe this is the one thing Nicodemus could do is a very hopeful thing because of what we find here in Luke 11:13. I think Nicodemus was in a position to say, "I not only want to see the kingdom, I want to enter the kingdom. With all my heart, I want to be in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be." with God for the rest of eternity. Look at what Luke 11:13 says. We referred to this a week or two or three ago. It says, "If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?" The Lord Jesus is giving this teaching that talks about how fathers 
who are wicked by their nature can do kind things to their children. And he says, since that's true, won't the truly good one do good and give the Spirit to those who would ask him for the Spirit? In other words, a man can look to and a man can plead with God. A man with a heart of stone or maybe just ever so slightly softer than stone can say, Lord, take away my heart of stone. God, give me a new heart. Give me a heart to know you. Give me a heart to love you. Help me to hate my sin. Help me to repent of my sin. God, give me your spirit. Make me utterly favorable to you and your ways, Lord. I do not want to be in rebellion to you, Lord. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my covetousness. Forgive me for all of my sinful and fleshly ways of men. Forgive me, God. I don't want to be indifferent to your church, Lord. I want to love your church. I want to love what you love, Lord. I think Nicodemus began to meditate according to some of these things he knew from Ezekiel, from Jeremiah, from Isaiah. I think he came to realize that his only true hope was in God transforming him and God giving him new life and God giving him the kind of eyes that could see the kingdom of heaven and giving him a heart and a new person who could live with the Lord forever. I think you began to pray. And I think you began to seek forgiveness. Because I'm not sure he ever really knew himself to be an idolater like the stone-hearted one in Ezekiel. I hope you'll meditate on these words of this passage with me and, and think to how Ezekiel told us to expect the need to be washed with water and filled with the Spirit. It's a great, great insight for us to understand this conversation with Nicodemus. Let's take a minute and thank the Lord and we'll pray together. Oh God of heaven, we thank you for this amazing conversation between Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, you would forgive us of our hardness, of our coolness to the Lord Jesus. Oh God, we love you and, and we praise you. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. Lord, conform these men and women to your image by our constant repentance. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Make your name glorious and famous, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.